If you have your Bible, please open with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll begin reading in verse 1 in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 1. I recently saw a uh, Facebook post by somebody that goes by the name Church Curmudgeon, and uh, he said, if the pastor wakes up and sees his shadow, there will be six more weeks of this sermon series. Well... Uh, Puxatani Phil did not see his shadow, and uh, neither did your pastor. And so I guess that uh, we are in for an early spring and an early uh, end to this, uh, well, not really an early end to this sermon series. It's going to end at the appropriate time. As it stands right now, this is the last week that we're going to be doing this little sermon series on preparing for 2024. And you may remember that what we've, what we've looked at so far, we looked at God's sovereignty, that God does whatsoever He pleases. He does all things well, and we can't do anything to stop Him. We can't do anything to hinder Him, and nobody else can either. And then we look for a couple of weeks at living an anxiety-free life. God takes care of the, the birds. He takes care of the plants and so forth, and He will take care of His people. Then we saw that, um, that we need to be regular in our prayer life. We need to go to God in prayer and, and, uh, and be faithful in our prayers. And today's going to be a related topic to all those things. We're going to talk about having faith in God. Have faith in God. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, you might remember what the writer of Hebrews is doing. You remember he's writing to some Jewish Christians who, uh, who had grown up in Judaism, but they converted to Christianity. They were convinced that Jesus uh, is and was the Messiah, and they had put their faith in him, but there was, a, there was a lot of pressure at the time to turn back to their old ways. They saw that Jesus is, is the fulfillment of the Old Testament and his sacrificial work on the cross was what the prophets had, had, uh, had, had foretold. But they were undergoing persecutions for their faith. There were all kinds of societal pressures. And because of that, some of them were tempted to turn away from the faith, once for all delivered to the saints, and turn back to, uh, from Christianity to Judaism. And so the author of Hebrews writes to them, and he gives argument after argument. And so if you've read Hebrews, you know that he gets pretty detailed with some of the Old Testament stuff, right? And so he's, he's pulling all this stuff from the Old Testament and building his case that Jesus is superior to anyone or anything under the Old Covenant. And since he is superior, since he is the substance, whereas the stuff in the Old Testament was the shadow of that substance, we need to be faithful to Him. We need to put our faith in Him. We need to continue our trust in Him. Don't fall back to the old ways. Don't fall away from the faith. Now, where we pick up in chapter 11, He's just got through talking in chapter 10 that Jesus, uh, has he, he is a, a once-for-all uh, sacrifice. His sacrifice is sufficient. And then right at the end of chapter 10, He talks about it's either Christ or judgment. You will either come to Christ in faith, or you'll come to Christ as him, with Him as your judge. And so then he goes from that into talking about faith. And we'll, we'll make this connection here in a little bit. And what he does in chapter 11, some people call it the Hall of Faith, he gives us Old Testament example after example of all these people in the Old Testament who lived a life of faith, and they died faithful to God. And so that's the context of this passage. He, 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 he gives these examples to encourage us to be faithful to God, to, to live a life of faith ourselves. So if you found Hebrews chapter 11, please stand with me if you're able. We'll pick up in verse 1 and read down to verse 7. He writes, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith 
we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which were visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith Noah, being warned by God about the things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> now the first thing I want you to see is faith defined. Faith defined. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you have probably heard or probably read Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Because when people talk about faith, they use this as a biblical definition of it. It's, it's familiar to us. And in fact, I think it's so familiar, I'm afraid, I'm afraid that for many of us, it's actually become kind of a cliche. And the reason I say that is because this is the only time in Scripture faith is really defined. Now, there are all kinds of examples of faith. You see it in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, example after example of faith and faithfulness. We get told sometimes to exercise faith, to, to put our faith in Christ, to put our faith into action, and so forth. But this is the only time a definition of faith is given. And therefore, when people talk about faith and what faith is, this is where they naturally turn. And so they give this verse, verse 1, as the definition of faith. And that's, that's good. But what does it mean? I mean, what does it mean? <coughs> Excuse me. What does it mean that faith is the assurance, or my, uh, the, the translation I grew up hearing was the substance of things hoped for? What does that mean? That faith is the substance of things hoped for? The conviction, the, the evidence of things not seen. What does that actually mean? Well, we'll work our way through that, and, and hopefully it will help flush this out just a little bit, because many times... I said we, we say those words, but we don't think about their meaning. So first, if you look back at verse 1, the word translated as assurance or substance comes from a Greek word that's made up of two parts that literally mean to stand under. To stand under. In other words, faith is the ground, it's the basis, it's the foundation of things hoped for. So, okay, that's, that's helpful, but it's not, it doesn't get us nearly, uh, it doesn't define it very much. We need a little bit more. This has the idea of, of imparting a reality to the mind where even if we don't see these things yet, it causes us or enables us to act and live in such a way as if those things were a present reality. Now, I think that a, I think a, a, an illustration can, will hopefully be helpful here. Let's say, does anybody like to go on vacation? I know we do. Anybody else like to go on vacation? Imagine, if you will, that you have, that you have come up with a list of things that would be this. I mean, your perfect vacation would be this, 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 and this. It would be in this type of climate. It would be in, in, in this type of, you know, what, these type of activities, things like that. And let's say that you come up and you find the perfect dream spot. I mean, it checks off all the boxes. It is a vacation made in heaven. It is like, it was, it's almost like it was created just for you. 
Okay, imagine that if you will. But imagine you've never seen that place. You've heard about it. You've read about it, but you've never seen it with your own eyes. But let's say you believe that that vacation spot's there. You found it. You've read about it. You call. And, and let's say that, that, that you, you have this spot. What do you do then? Your life begins to change because of this, because of this vacation plan. So what, what's that going to look like? It's going to look like, well, I'm going to put in a request to get some time off work. I'm going to call and I'm going to make a reservation for a hotel room at this place. I'm going to start maybe going to the post office and getting a passport if I need to. I'm going to, I'm going to start putting back some money so I have some walking around money. I'm going to maybe go out and, and, and ladies, you, you've probably never done this. Men, you probably have. You're going to go out and buy a new outfit just for that, just because, you know, the, the shirt that you have that you bought last week or for the last vacation, that ain't good enough. You need something that's new. You need something that's, that's going to be just right for this place because you have this big plan of something you want to do there. What's happened? You haven't seen this place, but because you believe it's there, it's affecting the way that you live. It's affecting the way that you're acting. It's affecting the choices that you're making and the decisions that you're, that, that you're uh, doing. That's the idea behind this, this idea of faith. God has made promises. He has said certain things are true about heaven and, and, and sin and judgment and, and all these different things. And because of that, even though we haven't seen it, it changes the way that we act. It changes the decisions that we make. Now, he calls us, he, it says that we're called, to, uh, we're, we're, we're called to exercise faith in God in his promises. Why? Because faith is the substance, it is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, that word hoped for in, the com- in our common usage today... That's kind of a weak word. How many times you said, well, I hope the weather is good for the ball game. I hope that, I hope that so-and-so, sure, I, I really hope they give me this paperwork I need to do my job. I hope, whatever, it's a weak word. But biblical hope is not this, it's not this weak uh, 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 idea that we have in our, in our common language. It is a confident assurance. It is a well-grounded well-founded confidence based on God. Now he goes on, if you look at verse 1, he says, faith is not only the uh, substance or assurance of things hoped for, but it's also the conviction of things not seen. Now that word conviction, it also has the idea of, of evidence, of proof. It was used by Aristotle to speak of a mathematical theorem or a proof. Now I never did did anybody do trigonometry or any of those things? I never did it. I know how to draw a square and a circle and a triangle, and that's pretty good for me. I didn't go through all the proofs. Some of you may have. But the, the, the wording that, that Aristotle used to speak of a proof of something that's certain, that's the wording that is used in our text today. Faith is the conviction, the evidence, the proof of things not seen. So then what is faith? Faith is a rock-ribbed belief. It's a rock-ribbed assurance and trust in God and His promises, which believes in things even if they're as of yet unseen. Because if you, if you have it in front of you, you're not hoping for it. Now, I want to highlight that this verse is not given in a vacuum. He's not just dropping a, a theological term and then defining it just for the funnies. If you look at verse uh, chapter 10... If you have your, it's not going to be up on the screen, but if you look in your Bible at chapter 10, 
starting in verse 32, look at what he says. He says, But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners, and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you, will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now notice what's going on. He's, he's encouraging Christians who are being persecuted. They're being made a, a public spectacle. People are mocking them, mistreating them. These people that he's writing to are, are, are having that uh, done to them. They're sympathizing. They're, they're being counted with those people that it is happening to. They're also having their, their property seized by the government. I mean, they're being, uh, they're, they're being mistreated in a lot, of different, a lot of terrible ways. And the, the writer of Hebrews says, you have a lasting possession. You have heaven uh, to, to look forward to. God has promised this. And this faith that he's speaking of prevents them from abandoning Christ. You'll notice that in verse 39. And then he moves on to, the te- to, to our text today. So what's the connection? The connection is God has given us the promise of his presence. He's given us the promise of heaven when we die as, as Christians. And those, th- those are things that we cling to and that we hope for. How many times when you're going through a bad time, how many times have you held on to the, to, to, to the idea, to the truth, the promise, that there is heaven waiting for you on the other side? How many times when you've been going through a hard time, have you, have you been, in just as, as you're thinking through things, as you're praying through things, you say, God, I don't think I can make it. The only way I'm making it is because I know that there is a, there is a definite end point. This is not going to go on forever. And once I, once I cross the other side, I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to be, everything's going to be joy and happiness in heaven. That is a promise that God has given. And so this, this faith that he's talking about is, is a confidence, is an assurance, a conviction, not only in, in those promises, but also in the one who has made the promise. It's not only in, in the promise itself, but in God who has made the promise. As somebody has said, the beginning point of faith is believing in God's character. He is who he says. The end point is believing in God's promises. He will do what he says. When we believe that God will fulfill His promises, even though we don't see those promises materializing yet, we demonstrate true faith. So we have faith defined. And before we move on, I just want to briefly apply this because it's, it's all well and good to, to, to have this biblical knowledge. But what difference does it make in our lives? Well, I would say probably, probably everybody here would say and would affirm that you believe certain things about God and about uh, certain things the scripture teaches. So for instance, when you think about sin, what do you think about sin? It's kind of like the kind of like the old uh, uh, the, the story I heard uh, I think it's Calvin Coolidge. Yeah, one of our presidents was a very quiet person. Said very very little. And somebody said uh, I think it was his wife asked him he had gone to church. What was what was church about? Sin. Well, what did the preacher say? He was against it. 
Now, now, what do you what do you think about sin? Well, hopefully you're against it, but probably all of us would say it's wicked, it's bad, it's wrong, it's sinful. What about uh, what about this idea that God will take care of us? Probably all of us here would say, "I believe God will take care of me. I believe that God will supply all my needs." What about prayer? You we probably say, "I believe that prayer is an important an important thing to do." What about the judgment? You say, "Well, I believe everybody's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, myself included." We would probably all give affirmation of those things. And I believe that we really do believe those. But remember, faith causes us to live as if the things that we believe are true and real. So let's let's apply this. Sin, we would say, is bad. It's wrong. It's wicked. It displeases God. Do you avoid it? Do you forsake sin? When you commit that sin against God, do you confess your sin to Him? We say, yes, I believe God will take care of us. I believe God will take care of me. He'll provide all my, all my needs in Christ Jesus. I believe that. How's your blood pressure looking? We, we say this, and yet we're overcome with our anxiety about the future. We say, well, prayer's important. How often, how regular are, are you, are we, in prayer? We say, well, I believe that, that, that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Do you live that way? Do you tell others about those things? Say, I believe that heaven is waiting for us on the other side. Does that show up when you're going through the hard times? Do you hold on to that promise? See, these are, this is an uncomfortable idea because our, our problem is we really believe those things. We have faith. It affects the way that we live. Our problem is our faith is too small. What did Jesus say when he was calling people to, to trust God because God would take care of them? He said, oh, you of what? Big faith? No, little faith. And that's, that was actually a, a title, a, uh, a nickname that he gave to the disciples, little faith. And I wonder if he doesn't look at me and he doesn't look at you, and maybe that's the nickname he has for us, little faith. We believe, we have faith, but our faith is weak. So, faith, he says, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's, it's this believing so strongly in this, in this promise that God has made, this truth that he's revealed, that it affects the way that we live. Next, I want you to see some examples of faith. We're not gonna, we don't have time to look in depth at, at all these men that the author gives as an example of faith, but I want you to see just there's some big picture things here. Because sometimes it's helpful just to see from like the 30,000 foot view. Okay, so example A, exhibit A, is Abel. You see this in, uh, in verse 4. Abel. Now, of course, if you remember the book of Genesis, you remember Adam and Eve had sons and daughters. The first two were two boys. Adam, uh, yeah, Adam. Cain, who is the firstborn, he was, he was the oldest. And Abel, his younger brother. Now, if, if you remember the story of Cain and Abel, you know there's some sibling rivalry there. And if you have siblings, you might know what that's like, but evidently not as much as what they had. Because what happened with Cain and Abel? Well, Cain was a farmer 
And Abel was a uh, herdsman. Now, there's nothing wrong with either profession. The Bible doesn't say this person's better than the other because of, of the, the job that they had. But when it came time to offer a sacrifice, the Bible says that Cain brought the fruit of the ground, the fruit of the earth, to the Lord as a sacrifice. And Abel brought the, the firstlings, the best of the best of his herds, and offered them to God. Now, the Bible says that God had regard for Abel and his sacrifice, but not for Cain's. Now, we don't know exactly how that was communicated. A lot of the old-time commentators uh, believe that the fire came down from heaven and consumed Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't give any indication. So we can't, we, we, that's just pure conjecture. But however it was communicated, God had regard for, he respected, he accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. We don't know all, again, we don't know all that was going on. It could be because Abel's was a blood sacrifice, and maybe uh, that's, God had already commanded that, and it was later codified in Jewish law, and Cain didn't. But whatever else may have been going on, if you look at our text, look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Whatever else was going on, the main reason that God accepted Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's was because of faith. Abel's was offered in faith. And if nothing else, this tells us that God cares how we approach Him. God cares how we worship Him. God requires that we come to Him in faith. Next, He goes on to talk about Enoch. Now if you look at verse 5, He says that Enoch by faith was taken up so he would not taste death. Now He is not saying if you just believe hard enough, if your faith is strong enough that you'll just be raptured out of here, you, and you won't have to go through the dying process and so forth. He's not saying that. But, but, but what he's saying is, um, Enoch was a righteous man. The Bible says he walked with God. He was pleasing to God. And we know that therefore he had faith because he goes on to say in verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. So if he was pleasing to God, therefore he had faith. He was living in faith. And it wasn't just some act that he did. It's not just that he had this episode where he believed God, but rather he walked with God on a daily basis. His faith made a difference in the way that he lived each and every day. Now, we're going to circle back around to that idea here in, in just a minute, but the third example he gives is Noah. Noah. Now, you know Noah. Noah built an ark. God told Noah there's going to be a worldwide flood, worldwide deluge. And Noah, in response to that, he believed God, and therefore, he built an ark. He built a great big boat. And no doubt, he looked foolish building a boat in the middle of the arid Middle East. And yet, he believed God. He believed what God said. Why? Because God was the one who said it. Now, if you look back at verse 6, it says right there at the end, or right at the beginning, I mean, that without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, why would that be? Imagine you have a friend. Not too hard for some of us. Some of us, it's kind of a stretch. But imagine you have a friend. And that friend doesn't believe a single word you say. Now, some of us have friends, and some of us are that friend. They're kind of windy. And sometimes, you know, you, you talk to some people... And they'll tell a story, and you know about 10% of what they're telling you is accurate. The other 90% is, um, it, it's kind of an exaggeration, right? 
but imagine that you have a friend, and everything that you said, that friend disbelieved. Everything that you said, that friend went behind you and double-checked everything that you told them. Imagine that's, imagine, imagine whatever relationship it is, friendship, marriage, whatever. Everything that you said, that person was like, eh, I don't know about that. How close would you be to that person? Not too close, right? If, if, if you told them something and they disbelieved it and responded accordingly, there would be a bit of a distance between you and them. Carry that over to what is said in, chapter, in verse 6. Without faith it's impossible to please God. What's faith is believing what God says because God's the one that said it. You cannot take what God says and doubt everything He's saying and be close to God. You can't do it. Because faith, trust, is an essential part of any close relationship. And you're not going to be close to God if you're doubting what He says. If you're second-guessing Him. If you don't believe His promises. If you, if, if you don't believe that he, His ways are the right ways. You're not going to be, you're not going to be close to Him. And that's what verse 6 is telling us. You're not going to have a healthy relationship with the Lord if you don't have faith. You're not going to please Him. Now there are two final things I want to point out. And they're like super big picture. So when we look at this text, the first thing I want you to see is that biblically defined faith leads to action. See, we want to, we want to say, well, I believe, and that's good enough for me. It doesn't need to get outside these four walls of the church and so forth. But the Bible says, the Bible shows us through example that, that our faith will lead to action. It affected Abel's worship. It affected the way that he came to God, the sacrifice that he made. It affected Enoch on, on, on a daily basis. He walked with God. He, his, his belief, his faith, his trust in God affected the decisions that he made. It affected Noah. Noah's, God said to, to Noah that there's going to be this flood. And so in response, he built an ark. And beyond that, on a daily basis, the Bible says he walked with God too. Faith, biblically defined faith, will cause us to believe God, to believe his promises so strongly it's going to come out in the things that we do, the decisions that we make, the way that we talk, the places that we go. That's big picture. And the question I just posed to you is this. Does your faith change your life? Has your faith changed your life? And that's something that only you, can, only you can answer. And I'd encourage you to not say it out loud, but to answer that in your own mind. Does your faith, the faith that you claim, that you sit here on Sunday morning and proclaim in your presence and, and, and as we sing and, and all those things, does that faith change the way that you live? The second thing I, I, I want, a big picture thing, is much narrower. But I want you to see it again in verse 6. It says that without faith it is impossible to please God. Now think what that means. That means every bit of your self-effort. That means every bit of your, uh, of your good works. That means every bit of your, your labor. All the, all the other stuff that you do is useless in pleasing God apart from faith. That means, in, in fact, Romans chapter 8 and verse 8 says, And those who are in the flesh, those who are unsaved, cannot please God. 
the, the person who is still in their sin is displeasing to God 24-7. But the Bible says that we can be pleasing to God through faith. Simple, childlike trust in Christ. Because the Bible says that, that, that on the basis of faith, we are saved. By grace through faith, you're saved. And, 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 and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, lest the same person should boast. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, you are displeasing to God right now. Regardless of, of how many times you come to church, where you volunteered, how much money you give to help out the poor, anything like that. Without faith, you cannot please God. But if you will trust Christ for salvation, He will accept you into His family. He will forgive your sins. He will make you right with Him. And you'll be part of God's family. And if you've never done that, do that today. Why don't you stand with me as a musician comes. Now as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I want to... um, I just want to pose that question again. Does the faith that you profess, does that change your life? I applied it specifically to anxiety, to, to care, to the hope of heaven, to sin. And there are any number of ways that you can apply that. We have faith. We believe these things. Do you believe it enough to change the way that you live. Maybe you're like that father in the Gospels who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You believe, but your faith is weak. Ask God to strengthen that faith. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that as we, uh, as we consider our hearts, as we consider our lives, we consider our actions, our attitudes, and all the rest, that you'd help us to be faithful, that you'd help us to uh, rely on you, to trust you more, and to trust you better. And God, we... Um, We ask that you forgive us for our lack of faith. We thank you for your love and compassion that you shower upon us. That you remember that we're we're just dust. And God, I pray that each of us as we go out this day and this week and as we go into 2024, that you'd help us to... To, to believe you better. Lord, I ask that you would uh, be with anybody maybe who's never accepted Christ as their Savior and they are um, they're far from you, they're displeasing to you. Lord, I pray that you let them t- see their true condition and, and turn to faith in Christ. 
Lord, again, we pray that you would uh, do your will in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.